The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Charles, how did that Thanksgiving end up being, man? Uh, got stuffed. I ate like two, two and a half plates. Uh, a bunch of my friends that I've known since like fifth grade came over. Nice. Uh, drank a lot. Uh, we stayed up until like four in the morning. And the funniest part was actually the day after I had like my yearly physical at the doctor uh, at like 11 a.m. So, you know, I stumble out of bed at like 1030, <laughs> 1030 all over there. And I was like, I was like, oh, no, because like my weight's going to be up. and I know my blood pressure is about to be out of this, like out of this world. Because like I, I already have like even like on my good days, like when I'm in super good shape, like my blood pressure still a little high. Uh, so I knew he's about to roast me for that. So I got my blood pressure taken, predictably extremely high. And my doctor was like, he was like, were you guys, were you drinking last night? I was like, last night? I was drinking like six hours ago. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, a fun Thanksgiving for sure. I uh, got some decent games too. Uh, yeah. How was your weekend? I want to get, I want to get your doctor on the call, man. Uh, <laughs> No, it was good. You know, I was uh, I was carving the turkey. My wife made like a giant turkey. It was beautiful, but I was definitely jealous of thinking about uh, what'd you call it? 40, 40 clove, 40, 40 cloves of garlic chicken. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I just couldn't stop thinking about that. I gotta I gotta make that someday. But yeah, it was good. It was a lot a lot of family time. So, uh, you know, I took my son to the batting cage. You know, my son he he broke his arm over the summer and then it didn't heal right and he had to get surgery. Uh, so he Oof. just got out of surgery. He has pins and he has screws and plates in his arm. And so this was like the first thing that he really tried to do. And he was a warrior about it. Like he just stood in and hit the batting cage. Like he just was hitting the ball uh, as if nothing ever happened. He's he's kind of bionic now. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of fun. My brother, I remember when I was younger, uh, my brother, he played football for a little bit, like uh, Pee Wee. Pop Warner level. And he was good, man. Like he played running back. Uh, and there was one play where he was running for like an 80 yard touchdown and he stiff armed this kid at the goal line. And my brother broke his wrist and he decided that he was done playing football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, mean, was, why, I mean, wise decision, quite honestly. Yeah, I, I, just, I know. He was like, he's like, I think I'm going to play basketball instead. Like, All right. <laughs> uh, football's a brutal sport. Welcome to our football con- uh, podcast here. This is the uh, this is the counter. We're about to talk all about football. Uh, we're going to go through Charles's column, uh, his weekly column, four verts. We're actually going to hit three of the verts to start because uh, the fourth vert is about the playoff picture and how – uh, adding this seventh team and and really adding the seventeenth game and doing all that stuff that we've been critical of in the past. Uh, quite frankly, it's made for a really interesting playoff picture, uh, and I, I think just the weirdness of this year. I mean, it's it's a really exciting. What do we have? Six weeks left. It's going to be a yep. really exciting sprint to the end to see which teams emerge. I mean, there's just a lot of teams. You know, I don't know that we feel like they're in it. In it, like they're going to be there. Uh, at the end, but uh, they have a chance to get in, and, and then there's a chance to make a run, and it's just it's exciting. It's uh, it's definitely a good season. So we're gonna go over that last. We'll we'll hit the playoff picture. We're gonna hit the hit the four verts. We're gonna talk a little bit of college ball. Uh, Charles uh, Charles made the lineup today, and he he's taking us into college football. So uh, we'll talk a little. Yeah, bit I, I want to do a little ranting. 
Yeah, I like I like rants. I mean, rants are are great. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly switching on their teams in the middle of a season. Uh, just just weak guys, man. Just giving up on their on their on their teammates. I can't believe it. Uh, and then Charles has a little ditty too about. Um, Finally, someone is good at, at kickoff returning again. Uh, this is yeah. like sort of sort of taken out of the game, and I, I wondered how it was all going to evolve uh, and whether eventually a team would figure out a way to make it work for them. And um, the Vikings have a player who can do that, so um, that's an exciting development. So yeah, we got we got a full show. We're gonna we'll push through a lot of different things, uh, but let's start with the four verts. And your first uh, first bit here is on Baker Mayfield, and we have hit on this before. Uh, talking just, I mean, the guy is is injured. He's got a shoulder injury, or, or you know, I like, I think before last game it came out that okay, he's healthy now. I mean, you obviously no one ever believes anything an NFL team says about injuries. No one should believe a player like it's it's all it's all in the mist. Right. Like uh, everything anybody says is you just never know. And so you just have to sort of judge based on what you can see. Right. We all watch guys play and and we know Baker Mayfield is probably not the best quarterback in the league, but he is a capable quarterback when fully healthy. And he has not looked very capable in the last few weeks. Uh, in, I'm going to read from your story here. In the five games uh, Mayfield has played since he returned to the field, he's completed just 56.1% of his passes, averaging 6.8 yards per attempt, throwing for 187.8 yards per game. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's like, uh, yeah, that's not... But rookie uh, numbers. Right. As, as you point out, like, we don't even need to talk about the big question with Baker. The looming question with Baker Mayfield is, should the Browns pay him like a true uh you know top of the league starting quarterback that 40 million like they have to make it's going to be a really tough decision but right now he's just not even good enough to be on the field it looks like and and you're wondering why why is he doing this why are the browns doing this they have case keenum they have a good supporting cast they have a run game you know like their their running backs have been dinged up a little bit but there's other things they can do. It just it it just feels like toughness for toughness's sake or something. I'm just not even yeah. sure what's happening here. I I I really don't understand it, and that, that's kind of what made me uh you know want to want to write about this because I was watching the game. I was watching the game on Mon- on Sunday, and like really, if you get a Lamar Jackson performance that's that bad and you still lose, like I, I really <laughs> think you need to figure something out. Because I mean we right. we talk about Lamar all the time on the show, how good he is, how much we like him. He was terrible on Sunday yep. uh, against the Browns. And he, even he said that after the game when he had the interview with I think Michelle Tafoya, he was like, I got to go get in the film room and figure out what's going on. Uh, and Baker was just, I, I don't know if he was worse than Lamar, but he was just totally incompetent. And it's ch- just kind of shown, it's, or I guess it's been like a repeat performance of what we've seen, like basically for the, the past five weeks, uh, since Baker's come back from, uh, you know, a, a shoulder injury, uh, partially torn labrum. So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, who on the Browns is benefiting from Baker being on the field right now, uh, because the Browns, it certainly can't be the Browns because they have dropped a lot of games recently. Uh, they find themselves sitting outside the playoffs, even though with the AFC that could change uh, rather quickly. The offense, the passing offense, especially, especially has come to like a complete halt. 
Uh, so it's not benefiting the team. Kareem Hunt's daddy got upset on Facebook and made another post. So now that's two dads upset at Baker Mayfield uh, over the course of like a month. Uh, and, you know, just from Baker's perspective, what are you getting out of this? Because I know that you want to keep like this toughness, macho guy persona, but you got to get paid, baby. And at the end of the day, when when you t- when you your agent goes to the Browns to start like really negotiating this deal, they're going to hold these games against you. Like when you when, you, <laughs> when they look at the numbers and they say, "Oh, you want forty million like Josh Allen?" Well, Josh Allen, you know, since he started playing well, hasn't had a stretch uh, this bad. And you know, I think that Baker has cost himself a lot of money while going through like this charade that he's healthy and is ready to play because you know I, I, I hate to say this but I feel like recently like some of the some of the coverage for Baker has been a little bit unfair because I think we know that he can play a lot better than this like mm-hmm. there's there's definitely a question about like if the Browns should uh it's like if, if, how much money they should give him if they should extend him at all but you know like if he had been playing like the last five games the entire time we would never even have that conversation because he would have been gone uh, quite some time ago. So he's 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 definitely better than what he's showing. And I just don't really know from Baker's perspective, the Browns' perspective, like who is benefiting from him being on the field, especially like like you said, they have Case Keenum uh, as your as their backup, who's already won a game for them on the road at Denver on Thursday night, which we know is not the easiest place to play. Uh, they got two good running backs, Cream Hunt, Nick Chubb. Like it's kind of the perfect team where if your quarter if your starter needs to sit for a while. Like these guys should be able to handle the show for a few games. Uh, it's not like a, as dire a situation as other teams, but they just keep throwing him out there, and he looks terrible every time. Yeah, and I don't know. You know, we obviously don't know much about the nature of Baker Mayfield's injury, but it just feels like maybe if he had sat out two games and gotten fully healthy, because you know, every time you're on a football field, uh, like you're getting dinged up i mean like there's no there's no way to to, like get through it without like you know i mean it's a brutal sport yeah so uh like it maybe because because you know you're right like they they are when when it comes time to negotiate they're going to ding him for the way he's playing they also to be fair to baker mayfield they also would ding him if he sat out five games right they would say oh you're maybe you're not you're not durable enough for us to pay you like this, right? Like it's it's a it's a brutal business, right? They're like, yeah. of course they're gonna. But if maybe if he had just taken two games and really just gotten right in the first place, that would have been the way to go. Uh, it just at this point, you're right. It's just it's just totally unclear who it's serving, and uh, you know, with the way the playoff picture is shaping up, it's just like why why muddle through? Why not try to find? an actual solution that gets you a healthy Baker Mayfield. Uh, yeah. Make it a little bit easier for yourself. I, uh, especially like in, in a race that's this tight, you know, it, it's kind of, you're getting to the, you're getting to the point now uh, where you can't really be dropping games. If you still want to make it to the playoffs and they just look so discombobulated on offense. Like if you just look uh, at like the last four or four or five games from Baker, like since he got back uh, his ESPN quarterback ratings, which are scaled from, uh, one to a hundred versus the the Steelers. He was at a 49.7. Uh, the Bengals was their one good game during the stretch. He had 83.2 then versus New England. That was the big disaster game. Uh, 33.7 against the lions, which they barely won. He was also bad in that game, 8.4. And then against the, the Ravens, 45.1. So, you know, this is like, this is replacement level quarterback play 
or I shouldn't really even say replacement. Like you should be replaced. Like if you're playing uh, at a at a, a level this poor. So I don't really know why Baker's doing this. Uh, I think he kind of needs to take a step back and realize that he's not serving anyone a favor, and he's really hurting himself the most in the long run. Uh, and if he doesn't play better, you know they're going to use this as a reason to kind of maybe get him out of there this offseason and not right. uh, wait around with what they believe to be a championship roster. Right. I mean, the Browns are now six and six. Uh, like they are not really underwater uh, as far as points for and points against. You know, like they've given up two hundred sixty-seven points, which would be the lowest by a lot uh, of any team in the AFC South. Uh, like this is like it's a it's a pretty good defensive team that if they had just gotten steady quarterback play and like, I'm pretty sure case Keenum's middle name is steady. Like that's all he can do. Like he's not, he's not out here making big plays. Uh, Then maybe they're in a better position. Technically the Browns are in last place uh, in the AFC North because the Steelers have a tie. Uh, But you know, they're within dist. like uh, the Bengals are seven and four, but I don't think anyone's here sitting here thinking that the Bengals might not collapse, right? They like, they've, they've looked good at times, but uh, with the way the league is shaping up, the Browns could have been in much better position with, uh, with a more sort of cautious approach to this. Um, that brings us to the second vert, which uh, I think is probably a testament to a team sort of sticking to what they wanted to do and figuring things out. And that's the Colts. Uh, and this, this leads us to, we were definitely very much on the train of like, what are the Colts doing? They can't let Carson Wentz get to this threshold where the Eagles get their first round pick. Uh, and we were probably wrong. Uh, you yeah. know, it happened. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, the, I don't the care Colts. about being wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, if we weren't wrong, sports would be boring. Like, there'd be no reason to watch sports if people like us could just spew shit and it would come true. And then there would be no reason that it would be exciting. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's always funny. Like the people getting my men's, Oh, you were wrong about this. Like, okay. That, that yeah. check still cashes. <laughs> every week, so it's not, it's not affecting my money. I don't care. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be right another time. So hey, checks bounce, bounce back. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is, as you said, this is like, you know, the Colts are now, they figured it out. They figured out their formula. The formula is not built around Wentz. It's built around Jonathan Taylor being, Right now, the best running back in the league, or or probably it's probably more a case of the best running back and offensive line mix at this yeah. point. Um, you know, this offensive line is really strong. Um, you know, so this team has pushed into contention. Um, I will say though that the Wentz, the stat you have in here about Wentz, I got to find it here because he has it, gotten better this season. Yeah, but it but it also it's still it it confirms. So my theory on Wentz has always been that he's basically the 16th best quarterback in the league, but he either plays like the 22nd or the 11th best quarterback in the league. Right. Uh, you know, he's never like he's never just that guy in the middle because you can you can win with the 11th best quarterback in the league. You can win probably with the 16th best. You can't win with the 22nd best. You just don't know which one he's going to get. And so, sure enough, uh, you broke it down. Over the first five weeks of the season, Wentz was 22nd in expected points per ad- added per play. And then <laughs> in the last seven games, he's jumped to 11th in expected points added per play. So we're getting good Wentz right now. Uh, I tend to think, having seen a lot of Carson Wentz, that he may revert back down uh, you, you know, and, and be that guy and cost them. And he has cost them games even while he's been playing well. There, he's mm-hmm. been 
bad decisions late. But this team, it is a team that has figured it out, uh, you know, figured out their formula for how it's going to work this season. Uh, what do you like, uh, especially about what you're seeing here? Uh, I mean, I just think it's impressive how they've, you know, this isn't like one of those regular like six and 16. It's kind of like, uh, piddling around, like just trying to figure out how to get to the end of the season. Like, they they definitely messed up at the start of the season when they dropped those games, but since then, like they've been one of the best teams in the league. If you just want to go, uh, even by poor differential, like they're six and six with a plus fifty seven point differential on the season, which I think right. uh, kind of goes to show that they've caught fire uh, in recent weeks. And you know that offense is awesome to watch. Uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of a caveman, so I like you know right. big physical football and like their offensive line. You know, basically, basically everyone except Eric Fisher is like playing at a, a, a pro bow or an all, all pro level. Uh, and when you look at like the the two guys in the middle, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, I mean, I, I think that there, you can make a case. Uh, Ryan Kelly might be the best center in football this year. We already know what a monster Quentin Nelson is. And, yeah. you know, when you just put a 240 pound back that can run a 4 3 uh, right behind them and also has great vision and moves, like it, makes for a lot of fun, uh, explosive football. And I think that, you know, this isn't the same team that, you know, could barely score, you know, 16 points against the Seahawks or lose to the Titans early in the year. You know, they've, they've been able to really score in the past few weeks. So, you know, just looking at the last uh, month of football for them, they scored 45, 23, 41, 31, and it's all like sustainable stuff for them. So, I, I think that it's unfortunate that they lost those games early in the season. And this is like the perfect case study that shows you how important each of these games is in such a small sample size. But if they can make it to the playoffs, and the, I mean, they, they might be able to win the division if the, if the Titans uh, keep on falling. I would not want to play this team in the first round because they are well-oiled on offense. Like they know exactly what they want to be and how they need to accomplish that. Uh, and on defense, they're kind of one of these teams that, it's not like the most consistent unit, but you know, at each level of the defense, there's someone on any drive who can ruin your day. So you got DeForest Buckner, Quiddy Pay on the defensive line, Darius Leonard uh, at linebacker, and then Kenny Moore at slot corner. Like all these guys, you know, it's not like the it's not you know the old Steelers or old Ravens defense, but they can make the splash plays that can really annoy you and make you lose games. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's sort of a perfect summation of I think how this team and and uh, you know I think it's just sort of the design that Frank Reich was got like that was probably the the good thing is that they paired Wentz with Reich and like those two they knew each other they knew sort of like how to make it work uh, and uh, I think what happened Wentz had a great run with the Eagles when Reich was there. And then when it was just Peterson, there was something lost in translation. There was something about yeah. Carson Wentz. You know, there was a ton of writing about it in Philly that, uh, you know, Wentz came in sort of as like, oh, he's a North Dakota guy who's just tough and he just puts in the work. And, and like, and the narrative flipped in Philly that like actually what that meant was that like he was actually kind of coddled because he had never like playing uh, in the uh, football championship subdivision meant that like he never really had to go into that big time and uh he just got to be a big fish in a small pond and then when it came a coach was pushing him uh and doug peter was saying you have to do this not that he reacted poorly but for whatever reason uh right can talk to him and and i think that we're starting to see the fruits of that uh and like it's sort of influencing the entire 
uh, feel of the team is that they, you know, it's just like a proficient team that, that figures it out. Uh, so will be interesting to watch. Uh, and again, we'll talk about sort of where they stand as, as far as actually making the playoffs and making mm-hmm. a run. Uh, let's move on to the third vert. This is a franchise that has done the opposite. And this is just that we have no idea what is going on with the Carolina Panthers still. Uh, I feel like we've been harping on this for years. We, uh, probably harp on it a little less now that, uh, Steven is gone since, uh, Steven was a, grew up a Panthers fan. And we, yeah, we he, he still him. is. Don't let it, don't let him treat yeah. you. He absolutely is. Uh, so uh, the thing with the Panthers, like we, we have been talking about it. Like why? They brought in Matt Rule. You know, Dave Tepper buys the team, and this is a guy who's been waiting to own an NFL team. You know, he was a Steelers minority owner. I think he'd been circling other teams when they went for sale, and he finally bought one in uh, 2018. Uh, and then they they make the big splash of of hiring Matt Rule. They get Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator, uh, but they don't they don't go all the way. They don't actually embark on a rebuild. They they. Uh, and they also they dispatch Cam Newton, uh, you know, like they so they it looks like they're turning the page and that they're like getting ready for a fresh start. But they it felt like they just sort of went halfway. Right. They, they yeah. give Teddy Bridgewater a decent contract. That's a lot of, you know, as we've talked about, it's like a, well, a lot of money that you could be using elsewhere. Uh, and then this offseason, they decided to trade for Sam Darnold, you know, sort of went the reclamation project path. Uh, and that has worked terribly. And now they they were left to bring back uh, Cam Newton, as we brought talked about in a, uh, two or three episodes ago. Uh, first week that looked like a good idea. This past week it looked like it's just not <laughs> enough. And so now we're back where we were. Like, what is this team doing? Uh, and what is the path forward? And when are they actually going to like step back and say, okay, we need to have a process here where we're building toward uh, toward being able to make a run and having a true franchise quarterback. I, I, it's kind of the same thing with the Browns. Like, what are you guys doing? Like how, how two years into, you know, again, we're almost done with year two of Matt rule and David Tepper. How are you right back where you started? Like, this is, and honestly, you're worse off than where you start because who knows, like, how long Christian McCaffrey's going to be able to hold up uh, over the coming seasons? Because, I mean, you know, he's just kind of got the running back thing. You take a lot of carries, you take a lot of hits, and your body starts to break down. Just right. Kind of fine. Mean, he's, he's in and out and in and out. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, if I took that many hits, I'd be in the hospital. So, uh, you know, it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a really brutal game. Uh, I, I think that what this Miami game showed. Because th- no no team in the league should be getting blown out by the Dolphins thirty three to ten. Like th- I know that this Dolphins team has won uh, a few games over the the you know the last few weeks. Actually, they're on a four zero win streak right now. Uh, but you know I'm still not <laughs> convinced that this is a good team. I mean they were they were competitive with the Jets just last week, uh, and they almost lost to the Texans like a month ago. So I I don't think that this Dolphins team is good, and to get blown out thirty three to ten. Cam completes five of 21 passes for 92 yards and two interceptions. And one of those passes went for 64 yards. So, you know, you basically spent the entire day doing absolutely nothing on offense. I couldn't run the ball, couldn't pass the ball. And now this just kind of shows all the decisions that you made to get here. It's like you guys, how did you guys not realize it was going to be like this 
in the first place? Or was it just like this arrogance, like, now we're going to get Teddy Bridgewater. We're going to fix Sam Darnold. You know, Cam's going to come back. He's going to play like it's 2015 again. You know, they don't seem to have a good solution for the quarterback room, but they desperately want one because I, you know, David Tepper, he's trying to build a new stadium out here. And I don't think that anyone's going to be trying to pay for a, a stadium for this team. Because, uh, you know, the billionaires, they, they don't want to pay for their own state. They got to get someone else to do it. <laughs> and basically, everyone was like, put a product worth on the field and maybe we can talk about it. So, you know, they were scrambling to get that quarterback, which is, I think, part of the reason why uh, they wanted to get Teddy Bridgewater at the start. But, you know, you, you're kind of better off just not doing anything. Like, roll it back with Kyle Allen and get the first pick and see what happens there. Uh, so they didn't do that. But even then, you if you wanted to, from eight, you could have jumped up in the draft. Right, right. Uh, so they kind of seem to have misevaluated the quarterback position. And it's just like the perfect, you know, team to look at when you're like, this is why you don't half-ass a rebuild. Like you either go all in, like either you just keep Cam from what you had and then just try to build it right back up, or you can cut Cam and then just literally just punt a whole season. And if you have a seven-year deal, like – you can you can sell that to people pretty easily. Right. You know this is this is step one uh, of our plan. But they decided to go like one foot in, one foot out. Now they're five and seven. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. They look terrible. They they don't have like the cap space next off season of of a rebuilding team. So I really don't know what you do here if you're the Panthers. I mean Cam Newton's not going to he's not going to be here past this year. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's banged up. The offensive line is like one of the worst I've ever seen. And I know part of that is due to injuries, but still, like it wasn't a strong group before that. So I just kind of wonder to the Panthers, like how, like are you guys one surprised if you that you got here, and two, like what what's next? Because it's not like the quarterback landscape, even the NFL or college, is like looking too too great. Unless you want to, you know, take the PR hit and trade for Deshaun Watson, there really isn't anyone to go get. Right. Yeah. I mean, this and this team's defense, especially early in the season, looked good enough that if you had paired it with an offense led by a guy on his rookie deal and then a little bit of money to spend filling holes, like you could see where people would be excited about how this team is moving. But now uh, it's just not there's no path forward. And like you said, fans under like they get it now. Right. Like there's you can just say to your fans like, hey, we're, this is where we are uh, in our pro- in our process, and we have to rebuild a little bit. And so that's going to mean, you know, that we need to take it slow. Like the New York Rangers literally sent a letter saying that a couple of years ago, like, hey, we have to rebuild. Uh, and people are like, oh, OK, I get it. Like, that's yeah. fine. Um, you know, what's we'll, interesting we'll about that, about like here in Charlotte, like people wanted them to just blow right. it up in 2020. Don't half-ass it. Just go all the way in. Let's suck and let's get Trevor Lawrence. And they did right. Right, right. And I mean, I, I, it's obviously I have no actual insight, but it just feels like Tepper was like, hey, I finally own a team. It's uh, we got to do it. We got to be good. Let's do it. Like, I want to have fun. And like, man, you got like you were patient enough until you could buy this team. Like, just be patient three more years and then you would have a, a well-constructed team that is sort of on the path. And maybe you'd have Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and that's certainly where you'd want to be yeah. at this point rather than and now, and now they're playing like the worst brand of football possible which is good uh good defense horrific offense i mean yeah it's, that's it's I, mean, I remember when i was covering the jets in 2019 when uh greg williams kind of had that defense humming but the offense was awful like every game was like 
12 to 6. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible football. Like, there was one game where the Dolphins came up to New York and they scored 21 points on field goals. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to go home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this it's not fun. It's not watchable. It's not good. And I just don't know where you even go from here. Like the whole – if you're a Panthers fan, I don't even know how you have trust in Matt Rule and the GM and Tepper to get this thing right. Like it's just – they seem to have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it just hasn't. It's been that way since the beginning. Like we we were calling this out before Charles even arrived. Before the win, we were saying like, wait, what? What is the actual plan here? Uh, and like the thing, honestly, that we uh, a lot of the skepticism was about Phil Snow coming from the Big Twelve, which like has never played defense, uh, and him bringing that, and then like not really adjusting it at first, and us trying to figure out what they were doing. And then he figured he's the guy who figured it out. Like he, that seemed to be the biggest problem and that got erased. But then there were all these problems in waiting that they had not addressed. And there's still, uh, there's just no answer as to how they're going to build this thing moving forward. Yep. Uh, All right. So I want to hear your college football rant. I want to just, just, I'm just gonna let you go. Just, just, you know, I, I, I see these people who are like, kind of apologists for these coaches in these situations where they're like, oh, you know, they didn't know it was going to get out. Yes, they do, because it gets out every time. Like you can you you are at this point in 2021 in this media environment. What are they dumb? Right. (laughs) You you are not allowed to be surprised when uh, when the news that you've taken another job breaks. Like that's just that's what the game is, man. You know, whoever you're talking to is snitching, whoever, you know, USC or LSU whoever they're talking to is snitching to. So I, I don't know why people get on here. Brian, Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly left like the uh, pr- probably the most popular uh, university in the country because of its, because it is essentially the Catholic church. It's like a symbol of the Catholic church in America. So he left that. Uh, and then, uh, to go to LSU, which is a college football powerhouse, to become like one of the high, like these people are the highest paid uh, public figures in the world. Like they are, they like they make so much money. Uh, like obviously they're working for the athletic department, but like of why would they think that they could that it could that it would not leak out? Like it's a huge news story. Uh, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It's just totally disingenuous. Yeah, and the, here's here's one one tweet that really stuck with me. Uh, this is from Matt uh, Fortuna, who does a great job uh, covering college football for uh, the Athletic. He 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 posted this, uh, you know, a couple days ago after the Brian Kelly news broke. Uh, he said, "This is usually how these things go, but Brian Kelly has ghosted everyone at Notre Dame. Just spoke to one assistant who saw reports on his phone tonight." <laughs> As he was exiting a recruit's home, the news, the news broke when I walked out of the house. So I look like an effing a-hole. Right. Yeah, you do. And I, that's not your fault. But like it, you can't. I, I just think it's so foul to leave these people who depend on you. And it, it's not just like a couple people. You know, we're talking young men who have who families have trusted their lives with you. Uh, we're talking about assistant coaches who don't make nearly as much money as you, whose careers are now like hanging in the balance. Uh, just, you know, the ecosystem around the school, like, and just to get up and leave without saying anything, like I, I really don't understand because I feel like if you just went up to these kids 
like like they're not even kids because like you know you're 18 19 20 right. plus years old you understand what the game is like if you've right. been living in this country your whole life you you get that money drives everything especially you know if you're going to take it there if you're a young black man that like oklahoma's and notre dame's teams are filled up like you know you know what the, the gig is like i think that it really would not be that hard for you to just call a team meeting before and say hey we're going to try to keep this under wraps but i want you guys still before i'm close to finalizing a deal with lsu slash usc uh and we're gonna have to deal with the fallout from that but i want to let you guys know first like if you are that confident that a deal is about to get done you i i just feel like it's not absurd for there to be a common courtesy just to say to warn people that have trusted you with you know their futures basically uh that this is coming up you know just for for you know like when lincoln riley leaves oklahoma and or or not even leaves like the the news breaks and you have like recruits parents tweeting out like whoa this is kind of strange you know we kind of came here for lincoln and you know we never even got like a hint that he was leaving uh you know notre dame had recruits drop too it's just to me, it's just such a bad look. And especially right. when you think about the the culture of football and the culture of authority figures in football where they demand toughness out of you twenty four seven. Accountability, uh right. stick to Account- your team. Right. Don't let the man next to you down, right. you know, brotherhood, uh you know, make you a better person in the classroom, gym, field. But you know, that doesn't apply to coaches when it's time to go get a new job. They can just kind of slink off in the the dark of the night. And next thing you know, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley and uh, uh, Brian Kelly, they're halfway across the country and they haven't right. even really told people what's going on. So it's just so lame. Like you see the, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but like last night, uh, I guess Tuesday night, Brian Kelly, you know, a, a message that you sent to the team got leaked at like 10 PM, a couple right. of hours after the news had broke that he was going to LSU. Like, Hey, his love, uh, his love for them is limitless. Right, right. My love for you is limitless, but I can't tell you what's going on. Uh, so right. they had a, a, a meeting at 7 a.m. I've heard the audio from it. He four, spoke, four minutes. Yeah, he spoke for like four minutes, and that was it. And I don't, I, I just don't really know like why uh, it, it has to, it has to be like this. You know, I, I don't understand why they operate like this. It's just total cowardice for people who. Like, like I said, like you're talking about like, like poor young black men, you know, poor white people, like everyone right. who needs, who, who really like relies on you to provide an economy or, you know, at least in this country, like give them a chance to get to that next level of like financial stability just to leave them hanging out to dry. I think it's so weak. Uh, right. And I, I think just to send like a, a message paragraph a couple hours after everyone knows, like, come on, Brian, just let your team know. If you ask if if you would really have that good of a relationship with them and you ask them to keep it quiet for a couple hours, then I think that that's something they would probably respect. Yeah, I would hate to be somebody that Brian Kelly loves if that's how he treats them. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I wrote about this uh, and my general takeaway and I've been writing about it for 20 years now since I first like sort of really encountered college football and got to the Penn State campus and like realized what was happening uh, is just that like it the culture itself is not honest. Like there's no, uh, there's no ability for them to just step back and say like, Oh, this is actually a huge, big business and people are going to make business decisions. It all has to be shrouded in this. Like, Oh, actually what we're doing here is helping young 
boys be grow into men and and they're student athletes. You know, it's all it's all shrouded in that. And the problem is that all this money that Brian Kelly and, and Lincoln Riley are running to is TV money, right? It's so it's it's TV uh, wanting to pay for live sports, which people love. And then the fact that these schools don't have to pay their workers, the actual players, means that there's just all this money and they just need to spend it. And so they are throwing it at these guys. And it's I mean, it's just gross. Like Lincoln Riley, who I thought was a pretty decent guy uh, before this year, uh, like seemed to be a guy who was like a little progressive in his thinking about the game. He had a quote where he would said like, Oh, if a kid enters the transfer porter during the season, if he gives up on his teammates, I just don't know if that's somebody that we want on our team. Like uh, what? He's not allowed to make a business decision. Like he's not allowed to decide that the situation is not right for him in the middle of it. Like, if, if it was just honest, if everybody could just be honest with themselves about what's actually happening here and that every single player who gets a scholarship to a Division One school, every single one has the hope in their mind, I want to be an NFL player. Every single one. It doesn't matter if you say only 2% of you are ever going to make it. It doesn't matter. They're kids. They want to dream like that's the whole point and you just if you could just let them navigate if you just open the system up and let them navigate it and just let them try to get the best deal for them and then had the coaches be honest about it too instead of being oh i'm a leader like none of these guys you know the the idea that brian kelly was some leadership figure at notre dame or at lsu where there's like tons of really smart professors who are like actually spending time with the with the students and helping them learn things and helping them grow up like it's just goofy man it's just like it's foot like it's minor league football that's what it is and it's cool i love college football i love to watch college football it happens on campuses like that's kind of neat uh, but like, let's just stop pretending like let's stop doing the you know i wrote my column like i am just dreading how we're going to get coverage of like oh the notre dame football team had to band together like, no, like, this is like, like, not, there was no tragedy that happened. Their coach took a better job, like, and they should have the rights to, to, to be able to do whatever they want to. And then it would just yeah. be a fair system. But instead we're like, have to make it, make it out to be, uh, you know, just, it's all made for TV, man. And it's like, yeah, I got, I have like just two points I want to hit before we can move on. Like, so one of the like it, I'm, I'm the the video or not the video the audio of uh, Brian Kelly you know talking to his team is out there like someone just recorded and sent it out so because right. I'm I'm sure a lot of guys on the team are like f this guy uh, yeah <laughs> under, understand uh, but one thing that he he says is or one thing that he like keeps making note of is like this team can play for a national championship. Uh, this season, they're they're right. uh, in the sixth spot in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, you know, if Alabama loses this weekend and Michigan loses this weekend, right? Notre Dame is going to be in probably. Uh, and I think that is just so bizarre to to leave at this time. Like, I can't imagine a time that I've seen this because usually, like, even when players opt out of bowl games, they never do it for. A chance to play right, for the crappy, right, crappy bowl games, right? The crappy bowl games that really don't matter, like the Mikey Car Care Bowl. Like, yeah, sure, <laughs> opting out of that, but you don't, no one's opting out of playoff games. So that was kind of bizarre to me to just leave at this point. I understand that you know, adding like an early signing day kind of changes the math on when you have to leave, but 
damn, dude, like right before you, you could, you could win a title. Uh, and then the second point was, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that Lincoln Riley handled this this way because I have, uh, I have, uh, several friends actually that played on ECU's football team when he was the offensive coordinator there. Okay. And like, they all say that he's like one of the coolest coaches, coolest, genuine people that you could ever meet in your life. And they were like surprised that he left like this. Uh, so you know, I, I was a little bit surprised, but, you know, I knew I know people personally who like vouch for his character. But that was to me still a really low blow to just leave like that uh, when like so much is riding on you being just accountable and there and like communicating what you're about to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a mess, man. I mean, it's like. I'm sure these guys are going to go in and they give the stir like, you know, LSU made a video of like uh, of him coming down the plane steps and, you know, like leadership, like, you know, like just let's just drop the charade. And let's just yep. say like he's he's won a lot of football games and the boosters wanted a big name. Like that's that's what happened here. That's uh, that's what's going on. Um all right. I want, I'm excited about this one. Uh, so you have written a little piece about uh, Vikings uh, kick returner. He's a, he was a running back in college. Uh, Kune Nwongo, uh, one of the best names in the NFL too, but, but also just a guy like he's, he's actually making it work. He's actually returning the football and giving his team an advantage. How is this happening? Uh, it's crazy uh, because basically like, since 2011, uh, when they moved the, the what they moved the uh, kickoff spot five yards f- uh, forward, in order basically to to get right. kickoffs out the game without yeah. getting kickoffs out the game, uh, just to make it safer. Because I mean, dude, it's it's such a yeah. dangerous play. Uh, I mean, e- even like in high school, like when I was planning when I was playing on the uh, the front line of kickoff, I'm like, dude, I don't want to do this. Like this hurts. Like I'm gonna have to run backwards and then turn around and try to block someone's running full speed <laughs> on me. And if I don't block them, then they're going to get like a 60 yard head start on uh, some little kid running in the backfield. Like, nah, I, I, it's not a safe play. So I get why they did that. But you know, the, the side effect of that was uh, you basically just neutered like the art of the kickoff return for the most part. Like, because, because, because if you're going to catch the ball, you know, five yards in your own end zone and in order for you to, in, in order for basically any return to be worthwhile, it at least has to get to the 25. Because if you kneel in the end zone, that's 25 free yards, and that's a that's a touchback, like like everyone who watches football knows. Uh, and the fact that this kid, who on eight returns this year, has already scored two <laughs> touchdowns, uh, I was just kind of blown away by the fact that uh, you know that there was someone this good at returning kicks. So then I started looking at it like from a historical context, like, you know, with two touchdowns in this era of kickoff coverage has to be like one of the best marks that we've seen uh, in a season. And, you know, I, I, he's not going to keep up like the same pace, like 25 percent of his returns going for touchdowns. But I just looked it up. And uh, since 2011, only uh, two other players have had uh, uh, two kickoff returns for touchdowns in the same season. Cordell Patterson did it twice. On uh, Jacoby Jones, who played for the Ravens for a long time, he did it once. So, right. you know, and, and like when we talk about those guys, like those are some of the best uh, returners in NFL history, uh, especially for this era. I mean, you know, I, I, I've talked to people before who think even before this season, 
uh, Cordero Patterson had a Hall of Fame case just as a return guy, like if they were, you know, interested in letting someone like that uh, in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, he's in rare air right now. And I think what's kind of interesting about how these plays came to be is, first of all, like he didn't really have a choice to return either of them because they were both short of the end zone, which is pretty rare. That happens. That really never happens for a kick to land like uh, short of the goal line, uh, like on the one yard line or the two yard line. So if you catch it there, you have to run. Uh, and it's just a combination of like athleticism, uh, you know, blocking by the Vikings special teams unit and then just like weirdly crappy tackling by uh, uh, the 49ers and the Ravens in order for him to get these touchdowns. But I think when you go back and watch, like this dude is explosive, uh, yeah. really, really fast. Uh, I think I looked, I put his uh, like combine stats in there. He made like a four, three, two at six, one, two, 10. Like this guy's an absolute freak. So, you know, maybe we, we might have another special returner, but I think unfortunately he's already scored twice. So I doubt that teams are going to kick near him again. And they're probably just going to boot it out the back of the end zone when uh, he's on the field because he's averaging 40 yards per kick return right now. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to a- get, he's going to get the Hester treatment. Like if you, if you kick near him, you're losing your job. Right. That's what I was going to ask you is like, does this really matter? Because as you, you know, you have a segment in here, like, what does this mean for Ravens opponents uh, or for Vikings opponents? Like, and as you said, like they can just avoid him. Which yeah. Is generally how things go anyway. It seems to me, I think he only has two catches on the year. Like, yeah, obviously they need to figure out a way to use him the rest yeah. of the time. Right. Like he, oh, he might now know Dalvin Cook's hurt. He might right. get a little role. Yep. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of what you saw, like what you saw with Hester back in the day with the Bears. Like, we can't have this guy who's this explosive scoring ninety yard touchdowns with ease. Like, just on special teams, we got to figure out how to get him involved. So, right. you know, I, I just I, what I wanted to do was just, you know, kind of like you said, like I just wanted to highlight this before it went away, before teams just like stopped kicking to him because that's the easiest thing to do. Just boot it out the back of the end zone through the uprights into the, into the stands. Don't even let him touch it. Uh, so, you know, I just wanted to give him his props before he kind of disappeared into obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's let's uh, let's get to the playoff picture, uh, finally. So this is actually both uh, – so Charles published uh, a playoff picture update, which is just sort of a handy-dandy guide on where things stand. But it was also uh, the fourth – vert in the four verts um and yeah i mean it's just it's an exciting year man it's just uh, as you say there are at least six teams in the afc maybe seven the dolphins are like roaring at this point uh so if they can keep going there are seven teams that are fighting for that last playoff spot uh like that's that's a really engaged uh fan base you know like you're engaging tons of fans where this time uh of the season a lot of the time like it's a it's most you know i feel like in other years we were looking at 12 teams and saying okay they're thinking about the draft and really right now it's probably seven uh you know it's definitely the jags lions jets texans uh falcons giants bears you know like but then there's like after that like a lot of these teams have a chance to think that they like the Washington football team. It can now think like, all right, we, we have a shot at getting into the playoffs. Uh, so it's really wild this year. Yeah. The, the AFC playoff race is just nuts. Like the, yeah. the, you, you, you talk about like 12 teams being ready for the draft at this time of the year. the AFC, they have 12 teams that can make the playoffs still. Uh, the, so the Ravens, they're the, 
number one seed right now by the grace of God, dark magic, voodoo, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, because look, I, I biggest sham number one team ever. This team is not good. <laughs> like this, and it's really not their fault. Like you, you can't predict like the amount of injuries that they suffered. Right. But hey, they're not good. But that doesn't matter at this point. Like you're the number one seed for now. Let's see if you can hold it. I don't think that they will. But I, uh, you know, just at this point in the season, the number one seed Ravens, eight and three, and the number twelve seed Cleveland Browns are two games behind them. Uh, that's wild. And I know that, you know, that's going to expand a bit as we play more games, but you know, you're setting, you're setting yourself up for like, especially in the AFC side, like a really explosive, uh, end of the season, because, you know, like we talked about before, if Baker can get healthy or they decide to put case Keenum in, like that's a team that can definitely win some more games, uh, down the stretch. We already talked about the Colts, the Colts are the 10th seed at six and six. Uh, and you know, if they can just get past the Titans, that's a team that's going to host a home playoff game. Uh, the Raiders are still in the mix. The Chargers are in the mix. And the Steelers are technically in the mix, but I, I don't, I, I, I don't really know. Like, come on, Big, Big Ben, it's a quarterback. Like, he's terrible right now. Uh, so you know that the AFC is super interesting. NFC is like it's tightly contested, but I don't think that these teams have a real shot to make the playoffs. Like, so you know, Washington is five and six, and there's a seven seed. Uh, Minnesota is five and six. Atlanta is five and six. New Orleans five and six. Technically, all these teams have a chance to get into the playoffs, but like I think that there is a team that is, a team in those four, which is a lot better than the other three, and that's the Vikings. Uh, I mean, the Falcons—they're five and six, sure, but they have a minus like one hundred three point differential on the year. Every time they've played a good team, they get absolutely blown out. So I don't really think that you know this is a, really a playoff caliber team. They just kind of happen to be here in the mix. Uh, towards the end of the season. But I think what's cool about the NFC is just like the established players and coaches and teams that are about to be uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, the Cardinals are the one seed. Then you got the Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, Rams, 49ers. I mean, it, it's not, I don't think that the end of their regular season is going to be as explosive as the AFC, but mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be fun once we get to the playoffs to start getting these matchups together. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's just, so many different formulations, like it's impossible to to go through and try to like a lot of times you can at this point in the season, you can look at the calendar and be like, all right, this game matters. This game matters. That game matters. This happens. There are so many formulations of how it could go. And like we're, you know, we're into December. And usually the picture is a lot clearer uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun just to see sort of how all this unfolds. Uh, I hate you for this uh, quarterback for this Super Bowl prediction you have here. Would I play uh, again? If this if this happens, I'm, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking those two weeks off. Uh, <laughs> go like uh, Costa Rica, uh, somewhere. Where do you think the Super Bowl matters least? Because that's where I'm going to go. Oh. Uh, your prediction is that you the the Mac Jones versus Tom Brady, Bucks Pats Brady versus Belichick. The whole that whole thing would come to a head. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to pick a. I'm just trying to pick a different matchup each week, like kind of based on who's hot, who's winning. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, that's the Tom Brady Bowl. Like the Bucks look good uh, again. They 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 kind of did you know the cliche veteran thing, veteran team thing to do and claw yourself out of a tough uh, hole against the Colts and win that game. And the Patriots, their defense is just totally overwhelming right now. Uh, Mac Jones is playing you know good enough football to get you over the finish line. 
He's playing uh, Mac Jones football. That's what he's right, doing. He's right. Just, I mean, I mean, I got to give credit to him. Like, I, it's, here's, here's the thing with Mac Jones. Like, I really have no problem with him. Like, I honestly have enjoyed uh, watching him play this year, but the way he's covered just makes no sense to me. I mean, I, I don't remember who it was, but someone said he's like the greatest rookie quarterback season ever. Stop, please. Just stop. What? Uh, yeah, I think if he, I I don't remember who said it, but that is definitely someone. They, I'm pretty sure it was wasn't like, Mac Jones's dad. No, <laughs> uh, but you know, like it's stuff like that. Like, come on, really? The best rookie season of all time. Like, can't we just say he's playing well and he's been playing better and he's been, you know, I mean, I hate saying this because like I think that a lot of guys would play better than he is in his situation, but like so far. He's the best rookie quarterback. Uh, I don't think it means much for the long term view, but he's definitely played well this season. And I, and I, I was thinking, like, w- wouldn't it be funny if the Bucks and the Patriots got to the Super Bowl? Because like that's also something that's plausible right now, uh, just based on how those teams are playing. So yeah, that was my Super Bowl pick this week: Bucks versus Patriots. And I think that might be the most insufferable Super Bowl media week of all time. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Where is the Super Bowl this year? I don't even know. I have no idea. Is uh, it in Los Angeles? Or, yeah, Los Angeles, right? I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Los Angeles is still fine. Jeez. Yeah, I, I'm going to have nightmares now after, thinking, <laughs> after having to think about this and, and all the storylines that will emerge from that. Uh, all right. Anything else we didn't hit on? Any Anything big going on that we haven't? Uh, hammer the college coach, the college coaches talked about. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're I think we're good for this episode, and then we'll be back. It's tomorrow with picks. Yeah, maybe we'll do some picks. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, thanks for joining us here at the counter. We always appreciate you listening. Find us on Twitter. He's at Forverts. I'm at Chris Corman. Uh, you know, if you have questions, thoughts, just want to rant, whatever, we're we're there. Uh, read for the win. FTW.usaToday.com. Uh, and if you have complaints, send them to at J-U-M-O-S-Q on Twitter. He handles all of, <laughs> uh, all of our, our issues that we have with our, our public-facing stuff. He is, uh, yeah, and he'll he'll respond politely. So that's, yep. that's a good thing. And you should also just give me your thoughts on the Packers. Yep. Preferably if they're anti-Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.